and get that. So uh, we're going to transition, and uh, John and I are going to share a little bit uh, today, uh, still in line with this same sermon series. But before we do, I do want to mention again, uh, I know that you've probably read the bulletin front, and uh, Mary Lou Gerald has been a part of our staff. She's been a part of St. Paul for uh, decades, uh, and her family's been well a part of St. Paul for a long time. But she's officially retiring at the end of this year, December 31st. Uh, still will be a part of St. Paul, still will be active in our ministry, just in a different capacity, uh, no longer from the staff side, more so from the, from, from the few side. Uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed about watching Mary Lou that, that I'm sure you're aware of is Mary Lou, t- to a great degree, is the best of our church. She uh, constantly believes the best about people and is convinced that she can change the world uh, through kindness. And so many of you have been on the receiving end of that. Um, she, uh, even when evidence might not support it, Mary Lou still believes the best about people. And uh, love is not of an emotion. It's a, uh, it's a choice that people make. And Mary Lou chooses to love people. Uh, and, and that's, she's going to be missed, at least on the day-to-day activities. But I hope that you'll join me over these next few weeks while she's still with us, at least from the staff side or even into the new year when you see her, just with an expression of gratitude. Uh, you know how much Mary Lou loves the limelight, so feel free to just <laughs> you know, shine it on her for a little bit and uh, watch that level of discomfort grow. But she, uh, she, she is a fantastic person and has blessed us uh, for these years. So let's, let's pray. Oh God, what we pray now as we move into a time of where we want to continue to worship, now we want to engage the scripture lesson. Uh, we ask uh, for your Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us uh, in a way that you take the reading and the hearing and uh, whether it needs to, to have its way inside of our heart or have its way inside of our heads, um, either way, oh God, is fine. We just want to be open to that uh, in this process of how your gospel breaks into to a, to a life and, and establishes itself uh, the way a seed is buried into the ground and it grows uh, into a harvest. That's what we pray, and we pray this now in your name. Amen. Uh, many of you know that we're in the middle of a sermon series, or maybe not in the middle, probably in about the, the seventh inning, and the idea uh, stemmed from a book that John Grisham wrote years ago called Skipping Christmas. And in the story, and you might have read the story or at least seen the, the movie version of that, the two, two main characters uh, want to skip all the things that, that are tied to Christmas uh, in hopes to go on a, a Caribbean uh, vacation, just to redeploy the time and the energy and the money that goes into it. Um, and to some degree, our life is similar to that. Um, you know, with all the, the goodness of this season, the fun, the festivities, the the decorations, uh, and there's so much good that is jam-packed uh, into this time from Thanksgiving to Christmas. It also is incredibly busy. Uh, many of us have what I call a calendar anxiety. It's where just the calendar is filled with one event after the other. And, and so whether or not we actually speak it or it's something that floats around in our subconscious There is a common thought, I know amongst ministers, and I would imagine from choir members and and different people who who, who are involved and heavily involved in in this time of the year, January. 
is such a good time. And there's a bit to where we look forward to January coming uh, just because there's so many events. And so I've asked myself over these weeks, and I've invited you to do the same thing, is that what if God skipped Christmas? And so each week what we've done is we've taken a portion of the gospel that, that sort of centers itself around what we call Christmas and to try to answer that question through the lens of the people that are in those stories. And so the first week uh, during the sermon series, we looked at the Magi. The Magi were people, they're observers of the natural world in hopes in what they observed out there, it gives them direction. They're seekers. And so some of you, you're seekers. And so the, the, the great thing about the Magi is you have a friend in them. For another person, uh, it's Joseph. That was the second sermon. Joseph is the poster boy of what it's like when life throws you curveballs. How do you deal? How do you react? How do you handle that? Because Joseph's life did not play out exactly how he conceived it. Well, if that's been your life, then I want to invite you to, to look back into Matthew's gospel, particularly on those passages that deal with Joseph. And you see how God redeems in the middle of that. Last week, the shepherds. The shepherds are, are the, the poster people of those who are outside always looking in. And sometimes that's the, the, the people on the outside. It, it, they're on outside because people put them, on, put them out there. But sometimes we put ourselves out there. And so if that's you, then that passage in Luke's gospel, outsiders looking in, you see that God has a place for you as well. Well, today we're going to look at, and you've heard the passage, we're going to look at the genealogy of, of, of Jesus. By far, the most unread portion of the New Testament. Uh, for reason, too. Yeah, right? exactly right. You read it. Could you, know? you imagine Mary Lou asking her yeah. to read? I mean, she gets anxiety in that. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't think anybody on the, the, on the liturgist on side. Any of us, no, yeah, yeah. So the only thing that's probably worse than the genealogy in. In Matthew's gospel is the whole book of Numbers and that passage that has to deal with Meshivapheth. Because it says Meshivapheth about a thousand times in, in the span of about. You 10 practiced verses. that, didn't you? I did, I did. You know, in my office. In front of the mirror. Hour, you know, so, yeah, you know. Uh, but it's a passage that we don't read. Uh, most of us, if you're, you know, if you're consistent to John and me, this part of Matthew's gospel, you just sort of kind of look over it as fast as you can because the real gospel, at least we think, begins in verse 18. And so we just look past it. But maybe there's something about the genealogy of Jesus that God didn't skip, and he didn't skip for a reason. I know we've talked a few times during the week about this passage, and so I know there's some things that stood out to you right. when, you, when you looked at the passage this week. Yeah, you know, when I look at the passage, I mean, you can't read the Scriptures without coming across those certain areas where there's um, uh, these genealogies. You see it in Genesis. You see it in the book of Numbers. Uh, you see it in different places throughout the uh, uh, Old Testament. Um, it's less frequent in the New Testament. In fact, I think it's in Matthew and Luke in Matthew's gospel here. But the, the genealogy for, um, for the Jewish hearer or the Jewish reader, um, it wasn't just a list of names for them. It was a way to connect themselves to um, the lineage or to uh, the, the promise that was gave, given to uh, Abraham. So it connects them. It connects them and their uh, lives and their pedigree or their um, children 
to the promise, and they see themselves as insiders. So for the Jewish reader, which Matthew's audience is the Jewish reader, um, it was a reminder to them that there is redemption, and the redemption came through their lineage, if you can go all the way back to, to Abraham in that way. In fact, for the Jewish reader or the Jewish person, especially in first century A.D. and earlier in that time, the way that they told the story of God was to tell the story of God interacting with their history. So that when they saw um, an opportunity to tell about their history, it was always around what God was doing. It was God who was the mover. It was God who was the, the, uh, the redeemer. It was God who was the covenant maker. It was God who was the, uh, the one who is acting in their lives. So when they talked about their history, they actually talked about God in their history. So the way they preached was they told their history. In fact, this is, this is something that is so intertwined into the Old Testament, you can't help but see it. In fact, when God actually identifies himself, I am the Lord, your God, who had delivered you or who has delivered you out of the land of captivity. I identify, he is identified as the one who did something. I want you to remember, I am your, the Lord your God. And if you don't remember that, remember what I have done. And you see this in Deuteronomy 6. In fact, the whole chapter of Psalm uh, 90 or 78, Psalm 78, is all about this. Uh, the first four verses are, are an encouragement to tell the story, tell the history to the uh, next generation, and then the writer goes through the history. So the genealogy was not only to show their lineage, that they're connected, that they're insiders, but it was a reminder those names would pop up and they would remember what God had done. And so they would uh, be uh, uh, reminded of, of their place in this covenant or this redemption story. But also, the genealogy, especially in Matthew's gospel, has some outsiders that are listed. Uh, four women who um, are not necessarily people uh, that you would, other than Mary, I mean, uh, or uh, Ruth or whatnot, that you, you would not see these people as um, someone that you would celebrate God moving in their lives uh, or a part of uh, the covenant. They were outsiders. Rahab was one of them. And I'm, I'm going to talk about sure, the first one here sure. just briefly to kind of give you the scope. And Shane will kind of give you the other three also. But Rahab, her story is told in the context of the um, uh, conquest in Joshua's, uh, the beginning of Joshua. In fact, the first person that is actually named other than Joshua is Rahab in Je uh, Joshua chapter 2. Her story is set in this context. And, and what's interesting in Matthew's uh, genealogy is that Rahab has nothing humanly going for her to be included in that genealogy, to be remembered. I mean, she's a woman. She is an outsider in the sense of she is a, a Gentile woman, an Amorite, and she's a prostitute. But as Joshua uh, kind of invites us to do, and Matthew is calling his people to go ahead and remember, 
is what changed for Rahab is when she heard the story of what God was doing in the life of Israel 40 years earlier coming out of the uh, land of captivity and just a few weeks before on the east side of the Jordan River where he was with them in conquering the Amorite kings over there. So the... uh, the Israelites are on the edge or on the border of the Jordan River, ready to come in. So they've heard this story, and so they tell, she tells this confession to the people who are coming in, the spies. And this is what she says. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, heard what God was doing. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God in the heavens above the earth below. Do you see her entrance into the covenant was belief. And she didn't have the whole story, did she? She had no idea what the covenant was. She had no idea of what the, the uh, worship was or the sacrifices was, what they were all about. But what she did know, she stepped into and she believed. And her story was remembered from generation to generation. In fact, she becomes, she marries, she assimilates with the Jewish culture. And she marries Solomon, who has a, uh, they have a, a child by the name of Boaz, who married Ruth, another outsider. They had a child named Obed, who had a child named Jesse, who had a child named David. The great-great-great-grandmother of King David was an Amorite Gentile prostitute from Jericho. It's amazing. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know, being a, um, a, a Jewish person reading that in first century AD, that would have caught me off guard reading her name. You would not have expected it in the genealogy of a redeemer. No, there's that, others too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there are actually, there are these four women that are mentioned, um, you know, the fact that in that day and in that culture, that women would be mentioned is, is pushing the envelope. And then to, for it to be Rahab, another one was Tamar. Tamar is, you'll find her story in Genesis 38. It, it's, a, it's a very tragic story. And, and Tamar is, uh, she's married to Judah's son, and he was not a nice person at all. And some even would say he would be, he's evil. And, and he dies fairly young. And, and in that day and time, according to the culture and some of the, the Jewish laws, it was the father-in-law's responsibility to take care of his daughter-in-law. And so you know the story. He doesn't, Judah doesn't do that. And, and basically does the equivalent of kicking her to the curb. And so whether in her own strength or, or a, a, a last-ditch effort, she takes justice into her own hands. And in doing so, she exposes the, uh, the sins of her father-in-law. And yet she's mentioned in the passage. There, there you also uh, have Bathsheba. Now, we don't have her by name. What the, what the genealogy uh, said is that uh, you've got Uriah's wife. Well, we know who that is. That's uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Bathsheba, uh, I mean, you're talking about someone who had to endure tragedy uh, her husband was murdered. At the same time, she, she lost a child at, at childbirth. And, uh, and Hittite being someone that's not part of the, the Jewish lineage, this is a person whose life is also filled with tragedy. And yet she's listed in the genealogy. And then Ruth, you mentioned Ruth. Ruth is a, is a Moabite. And, and, and at one time, they were enemies of Israel. 
and yet she's included. What I love about Ruth is that uh, here's this outsider who Rahab hears a message and wants to jump in and be a part of. Ruth sees that in the life of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And there's that wonderful part in, in, the, in the, uh, chapter 1 of Ruth where, where she looks at Naomi and she says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. But all four of these, these are people that if we were having to list our genealogy, we would probably look to clean that up. Or maybe not include them. But they are included. And so the reason why God didn't skip this is incredibly important. Yeah. The implications for us today, we all are outsiders in this redemption story, and that they are actually included, it changes, uh, gives us the uh, invitation to change our trajectory or to see ourselves in that redemption story. So without the birth of Christ, and without Matthew intentionally uh, putting these outsiders in to remind us of that, we could be still on the outside, Absolutely. looking in, no redemption for us. You know, th- what, what I love about this particular part of Matthew's gospel is, because Matthew is going out of the way to stress the point of, of God's grace given to every person. It's not something that's tied to, say, family pedigree or lineage. It's, not, it's tied to faith. It's not tied to blood. And so Matthew, example after example after example, is, is illustrating the, the, the purpose of what God is going to do in Jesus Christ. This isn't exclusive. This is uh, God's way of inviting all people to him. So you're talking about application, the hope that just drips from this passage. For any person who's either on the outside looking in or from any scale perceives that they have never measured up. Every person that we've mentioned in this this passage, their life is filled with tragedy. They know what it's like to struggle with pain. Sometimes that's out at their own hands. Sometimes it's in, at the hands of someone else. They, they are the epitome of what it's like for bad things to happen. And Matthew highlights them. For what reason? It is to prove God's love and mercy, not just for them, but for you. Because if we continued in the genealogy, You could put my name down there, and you could put your name. We would be listed. And so this is the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. For every person that is broken, to some degree it doesn't matter where the broken stem, you know, what was the cause of it? It's the fact that we are. You're a part of the genealogy. You know, I mentioned this in the other service, and there's part of me that just can't help to to think this. The family of Jesus Christ is filled with dysfunction. I know nobody has dysfunction in their family. Not at this place, right? That's the church down the road. I mean, what are we to do with this? 
the part of our family, and sometimes it, we see it in every generation. It just sort of shows up. Are we to just hope and pray that one day it goes away? Jesus is redeeming all families, regardless of their level of dysfunction. That's a part of the passage. You know what the church is not? The church is not, nor will it ever be, for all the perfect people. It's only broken people here. That's who the church is for. For all those, whether it be in their own life or whether it be in their family, that there are degrees of brokenness and degrees of dysfunction. This is our passage. The examples of Jesus' genealogy, they're not the perfect ones. Nor are we. And so this is hope for all of us. I know this is a passage that we normally skip over, but I'm glad God didn't skip over it. This is our passage because this is our genealogy. Lord, we read this, and, and the truth is I'm, I'm as guilty as the next. Of, I, I start at, at verse 18. I might pick up verse 1 and then skip through, skim over. And yet there's something so powerful about these list of names. Because it's not just the names. It's not just the people. It's everything that made them who they were. And that is, we have so much in common, oh God. And so for all, for all of us who are like them, have degrees of brokenness, come from families that have all types of dysfunction, this is our hope and prayer. And in the same way that you bring redemption to them, that you bring it to us. Oh, Lord, we ask now for your guidance in your hand, this level of grace that is given to all to find a resting place here, inside of our hearts and inside of our minds. And we pray this in your name. Amen.